0: And I thought, you know what, I've already deconstructed my entire faith system. Let's not start. Let's not stop there. Let's deconstruct this. And so I started deconstructing monogamy and realized that that was a message that had been informed by my religion. It was a message that had been informed by my culture. Yet when looking for any substantial reason as to why that was the way to go, I was I came up with nothing. There was nothing. But the position that I took on it is that, if that's what happens, I'm okay with it because that's what needs to happen. Like, why would I be afraid to open a door if it leads to something that is better for both of us, even if we don't go through the same door together?
1: Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy
2: Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy!
1: Welcome to episode 148. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a really fun, amazing, badass interview with Marie.
2: Yeah, this is, again, I know we say this often, but this one is... (laughs) Like every episode. Like every episode, (laughs) but this is a super, super powerful interview. Marie is seriously a badass. She is uh, the host of a podcast called Everyone's Autonomous. Yep, It focuses primarily on talking to people who have come out of deeply religious backgrounds and sort of found the light yes so to speak I made that up not her, not her <laughs>
1: <worry>. <laughs> yeah people who are trying to heal through that
2: yeah but it's it's not specific to that so it, I mean it is amazing work she's doing uh, she also does uh, coaching for people in non-monogamous relationships and uh, quite a few other things you can check out over at her website and we will put links to all of that in, in the, the show, show notes. notes
1: which you can find at our website normalizednonmonogamy.com click on the podcast button
2: that was very fast, but people can slow it down to get all that. Uh, one thing I did want to say about this, just to to highlight how incredible this is, as I as I edit these and listen to them, I pull out little clips, audio clips to use at the beginning and to yeah. use on social media. Yeah, and, and we,
1: were, we put them in a little graphics yeah, and stuff. Yeah,
2: and, and Emma listens to them before bed. Like, <laughs> I do. Like white, we, put them, we put them on a white noise generator, <laughs> and she. but this one, like, had, like, 30 of them that I pulled out like so
1: many good tidbits it was hard
2: to choose so uh, yeah I don't know which one I've picked yet for the beginning but I might have picked like two
1: (laughs) yeah and there'll be more on social media because why not we have to get this out there
2: okay enough rambling about how awesome Maria's please stick around and listen to the interview. Be amazed. And before we jump into it, we've got a couple of quick announcements. We're going to keep them super quick this week about the community.
1: Yes. So we're just going to say the dates for upcoming events for a community. More information will be talked about in the outro. So stick around for that. Our next virtual meet and greet is going to be October 16th. That's a Friday. These meet and greets are open to everyone. They're $10. So More
2: details in the outro. No more talking about it. Next thing. So
1: that's separate from Patreon. Patreon, we have our next women's group call. That's the 14th of October and our next Patreon Q&A, the 28th of October. Again, more information in the outro or you can go to our website to find out more. Nailed it. Yeah.
2: Super fast.
1: Super fast.
2: All right. The other thing we wanted to mention, not a paid sponsor by any way, shape, or form.
1: (laughs) But just a fun little announcement that we wanted to make. (laughs) Is if
2: you're looking for ways to keep busy during this quarantine, uh, check out the Hump Film Fest. It's all online now. If you haven't been, we've been to it in person and we've been to it virtually. Uh, Both are good experiences.
1: And just to be clear, this is Dan Savage's Hump Film Fest. It is porn but it's amateur porn. It's amateur porn and it's super fun and just you see all kinds of crazy stuff and it's amazing
2: anyway it'll blow your mind <laughs> the, the last uh the last weekend to see this season is this coming weekend october 10th so into the show notes you go you'll find links to everything to get there and also coming up uh in november they're doing like a greatest hits uh sort of series so that'll you know if you miss it You didn't miss it for good.
1: Yeah, in November, they'll do Greatest Hits Volume 2, so go check that out.
2: Just thought we'd throw that out there. We'd love to support other people doing amazing stuff and...
1: Give you some fun pastimes. Yeah,
2: something to go (laughs) masturbate to.
1: (laughs) Or just enjoy. Hang out with friends via Zoom.
2: It's not required to masturbate. (laughs) That was just an optional add-on
1: yes okay then next up we want to do a quick thank you to the sponsor of our show alt playground and just a quick reminder that there are lots of other podcasters on their platform and they have a lot of different communities as well
2: and if you don't know what Alt playground is because emma forgot to tell you (laughs) (laughs) it is it is an online dating site for non-monogamous and open-minded people we are on there as well as lots of other amazing people. They're constantly. And uh,
1: podcasters, like I said.
2: Yep. You know, you nailed that part. <laughs> and they're constantly growing, acquiring other platforms, and really doing their part to be inclusive. They've got nine different gender identities when you sign up,
1: nine relationship statuses, eight relationship types, 13 sexual orientations. I just took over what you were
2: saying. Yep. And the point <laughs> is, it's inclusive, and we are urge you to go check it out links are in the show notes at normalizingnonmonogamy.com or you can head straight to altplayground.net and sign up there Uh, we don't have any discount codes or anything at the moment so go check it out and let us know what you think
1: and again, you can find everything over at our website. I'll say it slower this time, com. Slower
2: and quieter. So now you, have that was new, not quieter. now you have a new handicap to figure <laughs> oh out how gosh. to come, overcome.
1: He was <laughs> like giving me a hard time.
2: And while you're at our website, we would recommend you head over to the contact us page and send us a voicemail. We got a voicemail last week.
1: Woohoo! One of our first ones in and a I'm, while.
2: I'm not going to say what this person got, but they got some free sweet swag. they did virtual swag
1: virtual i was like we didn't send them anything in the mail but they got virtual
2: swag they got virtual swagged and uh maybe you'll even see them at the next virtual meet and greet because that might have been part of their swag (laughs) why are
1: you just giving away (laughs) everything
2: (laughs) anyway we love to hear from everybody and if you're interested in sharing your story on the show you don't have to have your own podcast like marie or be as much of a badass as marie you can just be your own normal badass self and we'd love to hear your story as well And now we're going to jump into the episode. One thing, we've talked about this the last couple weeks, start laughing now. We start laughing right at the beginning. Seems to be an
1: ongoing trend. So
2: you can be one of the gang and party on.
1: Yeah. Let's go. Talk to Marie.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, boy. That's perfect. All right. Well, too many giggles. All right. Well, welcome (laughs) to the show Marie works. (laughs) Excited to have you. We've been laughing our butts out. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we know a little bit about you from your email and your bio, but we love to have our guests introduce themselves. So really, it takes the pressure off us. We don't mess <laughs> up and you get to say and brag about yourself. So welcome. Please take it away.
0: Well, thank you for having me on the show, even though I emailed you randomly and admitted before recording that I've never heard this show before. So I appreciate your grace and your generosity in sharing this uh, p- platform with me. So um, so yes, I'd love to introduce myself. Thanks. And uh, so my name is Marie Delafonte, and um, I am a life coach for people who are exploring ethical non-monogamy. Uh, my information is, mar- is on Marie D as in dog, elephant.com. And I got into this work hmm, like probably about a year ago. And I've been poly for about three years. Um, and it's been a hell of a ride and something I never dreamed that I would ever be doing. And it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else you want me to tell. I could tell you so much more, but I don't know if uh, you want me to dive in yet.
2: Yeah, well, we can we can dive in. I mean. We know a little bit about, again, about your background in that you were raised very religious and that that is sort of the foundation for how you got to where you are. So maybe I want willing to take us back there. And then how how were you able to start exploring non-monogamy, you know, a couple of years ago?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. So I, right now I'm 38 and I was, so I was born in Minnesota, Uh, so Midwestern, if you know anything about that culture, it's, you know, Scandinavian, passive aggressive. Uh, fake nice. Minnesota nice is actually pretty like mean when you think about it. But I grew <laughs> up in that culture. My family was uh, Lutheran. My dad was Catholic when he grew up, but he kind of became more charismatic. Uh, my family was very much about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and needing to believe that he died on the cross for your sins, that you were born sinful. And only by thinking the right thing in your head— which is that he did die for you, and then he resurrected, could you then go to heaven? And if you did not, then you would go to a place dedicated to people who didn't think the right thing, which would be uh, comprised of entire, like, uh, endless torture. Um, So this was the all-loving God. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> that that I was raised in. My family unit itself wasn't terribly like fire and brimstone, um, but it got involved in churches that were a Minnesota type of fire and brimstone. It was like, hey, don't you want to go to heaven, eh? Like, that's, it would really be bad to go to hell. It wouldn't be so much fun. Like, instead of the really heavy-handed preachers, um, that are constantly telling, talking about the lake of fire. But, uh, point being grew up in evangelical Christianity. Uh, my parents were, I mean, emotionally invested in it. It wasn't nominal. It wasn't cultural. It was personal for them. They were raised that way. They (laughs) have <laughs> never really doubted it or anything. I drank the Kool-Aid. I never really thought twice about it until I was probably about 13 and I started doubting. Um, but the flavor of Christianity that I grew up in was the kind that told you that you couldn't trust yourself, that you um, are a dirty, sinful being, not just physically, not just carnally or sexually, but just your thoughts and everything about you. All of your intentions are filthy because you're this filthy human being. It's that original sin idea. They took that very seriously. Um, and so that's what I learned about myself. I learned that I couldn't trust myself. I learned that everything about me was disgusting unless... I was forgiven by God. Then anything that was good about me was only, only because God um, was living in me. I'm doing little quotation marks. So that's the kind of Christianity that I grew up in nowadays I, I I am aware that there are friendlier versions and those are not the versions that I'm not uh, that I'm talking about but that's that's the one that I was in so around the age of 13 a lot of us start thinking a little bit more critically and a lot of us have stories about the things that we question when we were 13 and uh, at 13 that's when I started questioning my faith and like I said I was kind of sabotaged cognitively in that I didn't feel like i could trust the doubts that i had about my faith i didn't feel like i could trust myself i felt like any of the questions that i had were just a sign that the devil was tempting me or trying to make me stray or was a sign that i had some kind of secret sin that was keeping me away from god as if like water separates from oil it was just almost like a physics thing that i just couldn't be i couldn't connect to god i couldn't make sense of this belief system because of it. And so I didn't really follow those doubts. I I tried to, but I kind of wavered back and forth. And so from the age of 13 until I graduated high school, it was basically just like pure trauma 24-7 because I had to keep going to church twice a week. And I would tell my friends about my faith crisis and they would treat me as if I was diagnosed with cancer and that they had the cure, but I was refusing their cure. And so it was this very dramatic, heightened, sensationalized scenario for a teenager who's already dealing with their own internal growth and changes that we all went through that was very difficult in and of itself. But now I'm internalizing my growth as like this sinful thing and my 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 desire to be a critical thinker as a sinful thing. So I experienced a lot of time really strong, Really fighting with that and constantly being gaslit by the people around me and being gaslit by my own cognition. In addition to that, in the mid nineties, it was very trendy in the Christian culture that I was a part of to, uh, vow off dating to, to not to commit to not have sex with anyone until you were married, and anyone means the opposite sex because, duh, heteronormativity mm-hmm. um, and binary gender, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was, you know, I'm reading books from Joshua Harris um, entitled uh, "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." Um, I had some friends that I looked up to who waited to kiss until they got married, and I was like, "Wow!" and so they had us sign little pieces of paper that had us commit our virginity to our future husband, and I signed that twice <laughs> because <laughs> why not? And I I liked it. Actually, I kind of liked that because I was very insecure and it really internalized a lot of that original sin stuff and just didn't have a lot of self-confidence. And so this was kind of like an excuse to not have to talk to boys and to just let God hook me up. when the time was right. Um, But in the long run, it sexually, what's the word? Repressed, oppressed, whatever that word is, me. I never learned how to talk to people who I was interested in. I never learned to articulate my sexual feelings. I was never okay with masturbating. And if I did um, afterwards, I would want to throw up because I felt so much shame um I had a boyfriend in my junior year of high school and I had the opportunity to kiss him and I said no (laughs) because I was just so like backwards on that whole thing because of the way that I was raised right
2: um did you have did you have any like friends or people around you that were showing you like that you didn't have to do it that way or were, or was your pretty much your whole friend network? Like you were all signing your virginity cards together, like uh, assembly line style.
0: Yep. No, the <laughs> latter, definitely the latter. It was, um, I am aware after the fact that the Bible camp that I attended so much throughout my high school, people were fucking in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't know about it. <laughs> Even like a uh, homosexual fucking in the woods was happening at this Bible camp where you had to fill out an essay form that required you to, to condemn homosexuality as a lifestyle. Um, so I find it humorous now to be informed that that was happening. And I was informed that I was a prude. So some like back then people knew that I was a prude. So I think I was a little bit more prudish than probably my peers were. And then my peers... They received all the messages. What I've what I've been learning is that they received the same messages that I did. They also agreed with those messages, but they let their body guide them. So they did the things that they wanted to do with their body, and then hated themselves afterwards. Whereas I only did like a few of the things, and I've been I've been really good at telling my body no, <laughs> which is not great. <laughs> but that was kind of the trend. But no, otherwise, I was. Um, I was surrounded by people who supported these belief systems or at least pretended to on the outside, or at least didn't disclose to me any deviancies from that because they knew that I took it very seriously. So, so yeah, I only had one boyfriend in high school and he, <laughs> most of that was long distance cause he was in Mexico. <sighs> um, and then I never even kissed him. So, uh, when I graduated from high school, I, I asked myself what I wanted to do next, and I decided that I was too dumb to go to college, and I decided that my faith crisis was just so insane that I really needed to double down and, like, recommit myself to God, and so I moved to Mexico, and I became a Christian missionary full-time for two years, converting Catholics to <laughs> Protestantism. Uh, that's weird, but that's, that's what I did. And that was a crazy school. It was extremely charismatic, like talking in tongues, slaying of the Holy spirit, like way over the top, um, crazier doctrination, indoctrination than I'd ever experienced before. So it was very difficult. And half the time I was an atheist when I was there because <laughs> I was having yet another faith crisis because cognitive dissonance doesn't go away. Um, yeah eventually I left to keep that whole story very short. Cause that's, that's less relevant to the listeners at large, but I eventually left because in my heart of hearts, a lot of the reason I was doing some of that missionary work was because there's a boy that I liked and his name is Javier. And I don't give a fuck if he ever hears this, mm-hmm. but, uh, he was a large reason why I went to, you know, a lot of the mission stuff that I did. Um, And then he ended up dating someone. And so I was like, well, fuck this. God doesn't want me here. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, I guess God doesn't want me here. And so I left and I went home and I, and then I've been depressed ever since. (laughs) That's only like, that's partially true. The last few years have been better. But um, at that point in 2003, when I left missions, I began a gradual departure from my faith. Um, with no more roller coasters, it was pretty much downhill all the way. I married the first guy that I fucked after that point. And when was that? Well, let's see. I left missions in March of 2003. I met this guy in July of 2003, then married him the following March of 2004.
2: So was it, was it uh, we have to get married so we can have sex or was it, we had sex so we have to get married.
0: No, my, my internalization of doctrine started disintegrating. And I, while I still believed in God, I felt like, you know what? I don't really feel like following these particular rules. I don't know. I didn't have a ton of dissonance around it. I just did it. I think cause I was just so disillusioned and I think I was in a very traumatic space in my head that I was just doing things just to hurt myself just because I wanted to. And so I took up with this guy and since he lived in India, like he was visiting for the, for like a couple of months while we were getting trained for our job. And so he had to go back to India and I was like, well, this is a really cool thing that we've got going on. And since I'm unlovable and a disgusting, horrible person and no one would ever want me and I'm broken and I can't even understand my own faith, I should marry this guy because he's the only one that loves me. So he returned to India and we decided we didn't want a divorce in the future, but we we were pretty sure this would work out. So I'm, I flew to India in March and we got married in India and then I had him get a green card and he came back to the U.S. and we were together for five years and it was pretty dysfunctional and not healthy and bad boundaries, bad communication, bad, 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 all bad. Um, that's a pretty good way to summarize that probably not abusive, mostly not abusive, but just not good. Um, I divorced him in 2009. Oh, by the way, our sex was terrible. I divorced him.
2: (laughs) And and probably not a whole lot of non-monogamy there. No,
0: no, no. I remember the time that I discovered porn on his computer and I was devastated because that meant something to me back then. And now I'm just like, you know, if I find some porn I like, I'll send it to my partner be like, Hey, bookmark this. You might like it. Like, (laughs) I don't care. Or I'll ask my partner, like, Hey, if you ever need to like jack off, like, just let me know. I'll hang out downstairs. Like, you know what? Like giving him space to spend time with himself, acknowledging that he's going to do that on his own anyway. So, uh, but yeah, back then, no, 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 no. In fact, the first orgasm I ever had was accidental. it it just kind of happened because the dick was rubbing just the right way for just long enough that it happened. And I said to myself in that moment, in that moment, I was like, Oh, that's an orgasm. Okay. (laughs) But then I never (laughs) had another one with him. I don't think that was never the point. It was always about his dick. We never talked about sex ever. Like it was just like, he wants sex. And I didn't want it because he drove me crazy. And then he didn't want it because I developed an eating disorder and gained a bunch of weight. And so it was just not good. And even the first time we had had sex wasn't fully, when I say sex, I mean PIV, penis and vagina. It wasn't fully consensual. It wasn't articulated that that was what I wanted to do. So a line was kind of crossed with poor communication. Um, and a lot of the relationship was kind of like that, just a blur of boundaries. A lot of, um, I've always struggled with feeling very, like I had to be very performative for sex. And I think our culture has reinforced that, especially for people who are raised as women in this culture. And so that's, that was something I definitely expressed during our time together. So we were both very unhealthy together Um, eventually we divorced and (laughs) oh boy. And then I started dating. I dated one guy. I went on one date. I didn't like him. So I went on a date with this other guy and then I fucked around with him for like three months and had a lot of fun, found out what orgasms are and how to get them, fell in love with him, but he wasn't in love with me. So that broke off. Um, but then just three months later, I started dating this guy who I then married. And so then that was the guy that I was with. So like, it's this serial monogamy, this like compulsive marrying thing, (laughs) this, this, like, I don't want to like date around. I don't want to have to take these risks. I need to lock these people down because I'm unlovable bullshit. Mm -hmm. So, so that brings me a little bit closer to, to how I ended up being in non-monogamy. So, the partner I'm with, his name is Keith. And he, um, for us, like the first few years, our sexual life was really cool. Like it was pretty fun. I had a good time, but the thing about finding someone who really loves you and accepts you and doesn't try to force you down one path or the other, or try to make you be someone is that you start to feel safe. And when you start to feel safe, at least for me, I was able to notice the fears and trauma Mm -hmm. come up to the surface. And so I was really disoriented when all of a sudden, a couple years into our marriage, if he would, you know, solicit, solicit me, quote quote, in quotations, uh, try to instigate sex or something. I started curling up in the fetal position on the bed, my back to him and just would start like staring at the wall, like comatose, like unresponsive until finally like, I thought I was going to like throw up. And so I'd have to stand up, leave the bedroom. I'd go to the kitchen. I would just like grab onto the countertop and just like heave and just start like wailing as if my infant had just died. Like it was this huge reaction. And it was a really, really scary time for me because not only was I having this experience, but I was also afraid of what that meant for me and my partner, because I had found so much safety and stability with him and love and acceptance. And now I couldn't, I couldn't quote unquote make myself have sex with him. And so I was like, is he going to leave me? Can he deal with being celibate for the rest of my life of his life? Because I have an issue and I don't know what that issue is, but I'm guessing it has to do with purity culture. (laughs) And Um,
1: Everything you had been stuffing down for years and years and years was coming to the surface.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so I tried to work on it within the context of our marriage. Like I went to, I went to a fucking doctor, you know, like a literal fucking doctor. Like (laughs) they like, they did this thing where they like put this little machine on your clit and they like check different responses and stuff. And they like test your blood. And just to see if there's anything biologically happening in regards to your drive, There was nothing to be determined there. There was nothing standing out there. Um, I started seeing a sex therapist within the clinic network, um, found that very frustrating, and I would regularly go into kind of a trauma response when talking to them. So I wasn't really getting anywhere there. Uh, I was just hitting my head against the wall and feeling so much shame, so, so much shame. And, like, guilty for what this might make my partner feel about him. And, like, that, do I love him? Is he attractive to me? Does, you know, like, what does this mean about him? And I don't want him to feel that way. So it was a really tumultuous time. And that carried on for a number of years until about, you know, late 2006 when I met this guy, he's just a friend, um, but he's adorable. He's very good looking. And we just like got on a phone call one day because we're hanging out a bunch. And like, we just talked for three hours. And at the end of that call, I'm thinking to myself, I would love to fuck him. Where's this coming from? (laughs) And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? And that got me thinking about, like, if I've left the faith that I've come from, that says that monogamy is the only way to go. Why am I still holding on to this value of monogamy? Why is that there? And I thought, you know what? I've already deconstructed my entire faith system. Let's not start, let's not stop there. Let's deconstruct this. And so I started deconstructing monogamy and realized that that was a message that had been informed by my religion. It was a message that had been informed by my culture Yet when looking for any substantial reason as to why that was the way to go, I was, I came up with nothing. There was nothing. So I brought it up to my partner and in true Marie fashion, whenever I approached something big and scary, I bought three books on the topic, devoured them in a matter of two weeks and said to myself, yep. I think I need to explore non-monogamy. I read more than two ethical slut and then one other one I can't remember. Um, And that just blew my mind open. And so at the beginning of 2007, my marital partner, my romantically contractual partner and I opened up our marriage. 2007 or 2017 uh
1: thank you 2017 (laughs) yeah you said all the time I just wanted to make sure
0: yeah I appreciate you catching that yeah I get those I get all those decades really mixed up it's all Um, good so like three four years ago correct
2: yeah and to to clarify just to to maybe not to interrupt where you're going with it but the so you and your partner Keith you've been married for quite a few 10 years at this point And
0: as of today, 10 years.
2: Yeah. As of 10 years. Right. Um, but like overall that marriage, that relationship, there wasn't anything quote unquote wrong with it. Right. That was the sort of the crux or the difficult piece for you. Yeah. You were, you were relevant, you were happy, you were enjoying things. And then you sort of hit this point where you felt safe and then everything boiled up and came out of nowhere. And it wasn't like there was abuse, there was communication. It everything was good. And then it just like a wall hair.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, we were one of those couples that people always kind of looked up to. Like we didn't really fight. We always talked things through and, and I took pride in that identification and that value that people placed on me, whether, whether I feel good about that or not is a different thing, but I did, I did. I felt good about that. And, um, so yeah, that, that you, you hit it on the head. That's why it was so disturbing. Um, cause everything else felt really, really good about this relationship. Um, so I was really excited when I asked him about this. I was really scared to bring it up because, you know, one day I'm saying to him, I don't want to have sex. I think I might be asexual. The next day, I'm saying I would like to fuck more people, please. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, he he had to kind of roll with and, it. And did yeah. he
2: did he have the religious background that you had, or was he? He, he did was not. Little, okay.
0: Yeah, his family was more nominal. They didn't go to church at all. They didn't really indoctrinate their kids at all. He grew up like a Boy Scout. Boy Scout was his religion.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a very Minnesota thing. Um,
0: yes, it is. <laughs> he's
2: probably an eagle scout too. If, if yes, to, he
0: was. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> he Went was. to went to college with a few of those. Yeah. So, um, the the uh, the idea for him though, had that ever been something that he had thought about, or was this you were mm-hmm. you were blowing his mind with this?
0: No, I was blowing his mind because I was I was only his sec- second sexual partner. He hadn't had many relationships before me either. In fact, he had not had sex with anyone for seven years since, uh, before I came along. Uh, he, I mean, I can't tell his story for him, but he just hasn't, um, because of his life experiences and who he is, that was just not something that he, um, had the opportunity to do during that time span. So, so he didn't really have the experience either. and that's kind of what led me to this. I was like, dude, like I'm super fucked up with this shit and you've got nothing. (laughs) Like you don't have like a ton of sexual experience and knowledge you're bringing into this either. And so we're both just like blind leading the blind here. Uh, and that's why I was like, dude, we should, we should open this marriage up. Um, and, and that's when I read the books and I said to him, you know, there is a chance that, this will culminate in the termination of our relationship. And that's what many of my clients talk about, the fear of what non-monogamy might do to their established relationship. But the position that I took on it is that if that's what happens, I'm okay with it because that's what needs to happen. Like why would I be afraid to open a door if it leads to something that is better for both of us? even if we don't go through the same door together. So it was more important to me that we grow as individuals and find out if that's something we want to continue to do together. Mm -hmm. So it was a risk for sure. Um, but it was, I felt like it was worth it. I felt like I had hit a wall. I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And so then it kind of got, it got pretty fun at that point. Um,
2: yeah. How did he react to that?
0: He, he, he's so sweet. I mean, he's just like, it's the, the face, the, the way he reacts is more of a visual thing than an audio thing. But if you can just envision him just kind of just sitting very like, all right, I'm just waiting for her to say what she's going to say. Oh, okay. She said that. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, yeah. and okay. just like, I'm just going to take that in. And <laughs> to like, all right, you said that. Okay. So he was just like just uh stunned maybe, not turned off to it necessarily. Um maybe confused and probably fighting some internal narratives around um his insufficiency or something like that. But I reassured him like this isn't about you. None of this has ever been about you. And he knows that like that's something he has to probably remind himself of every day that this isn't about you. And so we're both photographers professionally. And so we decided in December to open up our marriage. And so in January, we, w- we took each other out on a date, got all dolled up and took pictures of each other, um, for our Tinder profiles. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
2: It that. was
0: very sweet. It was really sweet. And then we helped each other write our profiles and like, we would be swiping together on the couch and be like, Oh, look at this douche or like (laughs) so it was kind of a um it was a collaborative like thing that we did yeah it was bonding thank you that's a really good word yeah it was bonding there in the beginning and um he didn't have a lot of luck i don't know what the listenership would feel like what the statistics are that they would report but like uh I get the sense that men don't have as much luck finding dates uh, if they're ethically non-monogamous, whereas women, and I'm speaking in binary terms, but uh, don't or do have a lot of success with finding people who are interested in dating them. And so he didn't get like any nibbles like at all. Whereas I went on a dating binge Um, yeah, I was just so excited to like meet people and learn about myself and kiss people and fuck people and like watch cartoons together. Like that sounded great. And so, um, I started dating people and, um, as someone who has an emotionally complex cognition and like, a little bit of type a, a little bit of add, a little bit of creative you know geniusness mixed in there. I ended up creating a spreadsheet <laughs> for my dating um like tracking things that were important to me. Um because I really wanted to keep myself cognitively and emotionally grounded. Um so like I would track like date 1, date 2, did they touch me? Did they ask like just little things like how did, did I feel safe with them? Did I feel turned on with them? Did I find them attractive? Did they talk too much? Did they talk over me? Like, you know, these weren't all like specific categories, <laughs> like, but <laughs> just generally I was just trying to stay honest with myself about these interactions and to force myself to reflect on how different personalities and different interactions made me feel so that I could start establishing the boundaries and preferences that i had for interpersonal reaction or interpersonal relationships with with uh, romantic potential partners so it was a little silly but it was helpful and it's a fun story <laughs> i still have the spreadsheet it was it was incredibly helpful i would encourage anyone who has a a, a similar brain to, to try doing something like that. Um, if they're, if they're on a dating binge. And so it's
1: a, it's a reflection. It's a way to kind of process everything and say like, am I, yeah, kind of determine if you're happy doing this too. And, and, and and look back and have, I mean, as someone who loves data too, like I would totally do something like that.
0: (laughs) practice, like suited precisely to dating. Like it, it forces me from like, if I hadn't done that, I imagine I would go home and just like eat candy all night because I have so much energy around like what I was processing yet not actively processing. Instead, I would just like soothe myself with candy or like any other thing, TV, anything to distract myself because out of, out of not having to process what I went through. And so I would just feel the emotion, but not know what the emotion is. And this forced me to reflect and to tell myself yay or nay about certain interactions and to make uh really well-informed choices based right. on honest reflections of, of how I felt in those scenarios. Yeah. So,
2: yeah. So I'm curious because I feel like, we skipped something big in there, which was you told, you told Keith, Keith was like, huh. And (laughs) then you're on a dating binge, right? So they
1: they went into pictures. Yeah. They took pictures.
2: But there was there. What were the discussions like of like, was there a discussion? Like, do we want to do this in a polyamorous fashion? Maybe they're swinging. swinging. Mm -hmm. We could do this together. Go to sex clubs. Like, did you two explore different avenues for this and like did you come up with some type of like here's how we're gonna do it and and even at that point you took off like a bat out of hell because because of, <laughs> of the because of the dissonance and and the way the dating apps work and i mean he was kind of left at the starting line so yeah. like there was a whole lot of shit happening there yeah. and i i guess if you if you could take us briefly through it i guess we we don't know everything that he was thinking and you probably don't want to speak for him but the the general idea of like what happened to get you from you brought it up to taking pictures to dating.
0: Yeah. I think at the beginning I wondered too, I was like at the end of the day, am I going to be polyamorous? Like, is that the thing that I'm going to, is that the label that I'm going to feel? Can I feel romantic feelings for more than one person at a time? or for some unknown reason, I have no idea why, can I only somehow manage to feel romance for one person at a time? That seems random, but is that, could that be a thing? So I didn't, you know, as black and white as my mind really, really wants to be, um, this was one of many or few scenarios in my life where I was just like, I guess we're just going to find out. And so I went into it, not really knowing what was going to happen. And I, and I just, I would say my entire poly adventure has kind of been like that. Like I'm already not playing by the book. Like I'm already having sex outside of my marriage. (laughs) Like I already felt like, you know, there's not, I don't even have any standard to feel like I'm deviating from at this point. This is all, I'm just winging everything. And so I really didn't know what I was going to be called. I think what my label was going to be or how I identified in that way. And You know, even up till now, I'm not entirely sure of my sexual orientation or even my gender identity. I don't even really know. And I'm kind of okay with that. But
2: and and was Keith okay with that sort of ambiguity and the exploration process?
0: I think so. Um, it was, we did talk and it was really important to both of us to just stay communicating. Um, I can't remember the particular details of like the guidelines that we had in the beginning, but they weren't overbearing. It was just kind of like, uh, I'm not going to do anything big unless I tell you beforehand that it's coming because, um, at that point in my life, and probably now to an extent, I, I, I wasn't the person and am still probably not the person that's going to just show up and fuck someone. And, you know, I, that's not a moral judgment or anything. It's just kind of where I'm at. And so I fully anticipated that if something like that was going to happen, there was going to be a buildup to it and an opportunity to talk it all out. So I think that's kind of where we stood. It was just like, I, we just trusted each other to proactively, you know, just stay in communication, constantly being open about what's happening. And, uh, it, it required a lot of empathy to put myself in his shoes and think, you know, which of these steps do you think he's going to kind of want to know about? Like, what is he going to want to be prepared for? And so I think like probably the first date I went on beforehand, I told Keith, like, I'm not going to fuck him. Like, it's just, that's just not going to happen. I said, if the date goes well, there's a, there's a chance I'll probably kiss him. And so we, it's like these, these conversations we had before of like, I anticipated the limit of probably what I would do. And then I talked to Keith about how that made him feel, not that what he felt was my guiding light, but that it gave us an opportunity to work that out between the two of us. And so I would say, you know, if this goes well, I'll probably want to kiss this guy. Do you, and this is the key phrase, write this down listeners. Do you have any feelings about that? It's not, is that okay? Fuck that's no. Mm -mm. Do you have any feelings about that? So then if they have feelings, Hey, let's talk about that. Like I'm still in control of my body. I am still autonomous, but your feelings matter to me and it matters to me to help, you know, brainstorm and troubleshoot and mitigate uh, that, those kinds of feelings. So he, he didn't really have any problem with that. I was, I was more concerned about him than he was. I do remember that now, now that you're prompting me, I would go home and I'd be like, like the first time I kissed someone, I was like, (laughs) I, I kissed him and Keith's like, cool, cool. I'm like, are you okay? And he's like, (laughs) yeah yeah that's fine I'm like are you sure so like I was like freaking out for him and he was really actually adjusting to it really really well I don't really think he has a jealous bone in his body like he's just he just wants to see me well and happy and still wants to be included in my life and so the only times that he has reactions to things are when he kind of feels like he's being uh dismissed or uh not thought of so
2: Um, well, I guess that's, that's really helpful to hear sort of you break that down a little more because the way you explained it was sort of like, we made this decision and then I was just, I was just off and I went <laughs> on this day and I was banging this guy and then I was kissing this guy. And there, it sounds like there was a lot, there was a lot more to it than there that. Was. And, yeah. and I appreciate you going into that. And
1: clarifying that you, you did communicate with him and that, I mean, no, assuming that um, we assumed you did, but like
0: just going into the more detail helps and kind of know I think it's it. really important to talk about the nitty-gritty of what that communication looks like I think on these platforms when we discuss ethical non-monogamy or interpersonal communication or relationship health we tend to gloss over the actual like what does that actually fucking mean like to you can tell your listeners all day long you know treat your your partner with empathy and compassion and they're going to sit at home and be like I agree philosophically but what the fuck do you mean like what does that look like in language and grammar and in, in in, you know in semantics um so I'm very passionate about like helping people find and, and define that in the the language because it is a lot to just be like Yeah. Just be empathetic. Yeah. Just talk about your feelings. Use I statements. Okay. I hate you. Like (laughs) that's not going to help.
2: Well, and and it's so fascinating that you have come to this place coming from where you started. So like that you were learning all these skills. Did you learn, it sounds like you pulled some of these off pretty early on in the journey. Like you, you weren't, you, it wasn't four years into this or three years into this that you're like, and then I realized I needed to ask him what his feelings were. It oh, was like no. pretty early on. And I think that's pretty evolved and advanced, advanced, especially coming from the the religious foundation that you were dealt.
0: Yeah. I don't know how to account for myself. <laughs> like, uh, this is not Polly has been painful but it hasn't been hard. And those are weird words. I don't even know if those are the words that I want to use. I've always, I've always kind of known what to do. Um, what to do has been hard or painful, but I've always kind of known the boundaries of things like, um, and that's why I mean, that's what I end up helping a lot of my clients with where they get the, the boundaries of their autonomy blended or mixed up with the autonomy of other people and they'll try to control or have an investment in, uh, someone acting in a particular way that they want them to act. And I think, um, the education that I put myself through regarding non-monogamy and some other topics settled me into the belief that, um, And I think dealing with the idea of hell (laughs) helped with this too, that it's helped me become mildly fearless. Like I have fear, but I'm willing to feel that fear in exchange for pursuing truth. And if the truth is that my relationship is no longer conducive to being expressed how it is right now, where we're living together, we have a contract with the doc, with the government and we're sharing our finances. If the truth is that this isn't the most greatest, you know, uh, combination for both of us, I'm willing to deal with the pain of that dissolving, um, in order to find something that is better suited to me. Um, but, and that's, that's why I encourage listeners to really focus on emotional intelligence and emotional resilience and regulation in navigating ethical non-monogamy, because we really need to know what belongs to us and what belongs to others. And that's a helpful tip for people who are monogamous or non-monogamous to keep in mind. And, and that's, that's hard because we are humans and we project And and we're scared of being hurt and our culture encourages codependency and, and thick enmeshment with other people and getting our identity through the people that we have relationships with and, and, and to move things forward. I think that's what poly and, and now I do identify as polyamorous until I don't, I don't know. It depends who I'm talking about. Like, am I polyamorous with my romantic, you know, my my husband. And then I'm, you know, swinging with these other people. Like, can we have a mix of identities? I think that we can, but for now I shall say that, you know, I'm, I'm polyamorous and, and exploring polyamory has helped me. Uh, God, how do you even say it? Be me. Like, um, I don't feel as enmeshed with my husband Anymore. And, and, and I mean that in the most positive way, we were already doing really, really well, but this has helped us so much to be able to talk about really painful things, um, with courage. And in addition to that, I think another big thing that Polly has given to me was a mirror. And, and so I'll move along in my story. Um, basically for me, I just, you know, I ended up dating one guy pretty seriously for a couple of years and, uh, I learned some stuff there, but the more important, (laughs) the more interesting part of the story is when my husband started dating, because as I said, he didn't have a, a whole lot of luck at the beginning. Um, but then six months into our adventure, we're sitting around a bonfire with our friends and one of my friends is like swiping on Tinder and she's like, Oh my God, it's Keith. (laughs) She's like, wouldn't it be funny if I swipe right on you? (laughs) And so then they started dating. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, it all started as this joke and then they started chatting and I was like, I was watching it like, something's gonna happen here and Keith's <laughs> like I don't I don't know about that I don't know and <laughs> um, and eventually my friend uh, Kate she texted me and she's like so I met this guy on Tinder and I was like oh my God tell me about him she's like well I really want to go on a date with him but I need to talk to his wife first <laughs> Mouse <laughs> said, "I was like, yes, you can date my husband." <laughs> so it was very sweet, and and at this point, I've been I'd been with my partner. Uh, his nickname when I talk on platforms is Snacks. He likes to be called Snacks. So I had been with him for six months already, and and so Keith is about to start dating Kate. And I'm like, okay, all right. All right. I'm like amping myself up. I'm like, I've had so much fun these last six months. And now I got to get amped up because we're about to move into a whole new thing where Keith is going to start fucking people. (laughs) I don't know how this is going to go for me. And so like, I'm talking to Keith and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen for me. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be like completely absent of jealousy. I don't know if I'm going to have a huge jealous response and let's unpack jealousy in a whole different episode, but like, mm-hmm. let's just suffice it to say, I, I, I don't know what's going to come, but I told him I am here for it. Like no matter how hard it gets, I promise to be present, to be aware, to own my shit and to show up for conversations about this no matter how hard it gets i and that's that was the promise i made and i was able to keep that turns out i am very jealous (laughs) (laughs) turns out whatever that means right i'm very insecure it turns out um and that's what i was that's what i meant about the mirror so kate is and i talk about her a lot on the episodes because she gave me a gift by dating my husband, by fucking my husband, which she does regularly. Um, she is the personification of the woman I thought I was supposed to be. I've always felt like I'm not that woman that men want and I'm mostly straight, I think, but I always felt like, you know, you know, culture pretty is pretty clear on the kind of women that we're supposed to be very clear. And they're very clear about what we're supposed to be like in the bedroom very clear. I didn't see myself in that story at all. So that's why I marry everyone that fucks me. So, (laughs) so when, when Kate comes along, she's, she's, she wears cute dresses. She dyes her hair. She wears makeup. She flirts. She is, uh, everything. She's smaller than me. She's everything I thought that I was supposed to be as a woman. And yay, she's dating my husband. Hooray. So I really had to contend with that. And that probably took me a year and a half of like intense work. I was seeing a therapist, a poly-friendly therapist um, to work it out. And it was really rough. Like there was days where I just couldn't even be at home. I had to go and sleep at my partner's house because I just Like I had this visceral response in my body to being around my partner to to being around Keith. It was pretty severe, but like I said, like I was very committed at the very beginning. Like I knew that my reaction is not about Keith and it's not about his dick. And it's not about Kate. It is about me. And our common enemy is culture and monogamy centric culture and the culture that has us possessing bodies And so that was always, always right here, right here. Like, this is what I need to focus on. And it was hard. It was really, really hard. That was a tough year and a half. But near, near the end of that year and a half or so, I almost had like an instantaneous revelation. And there was other things that were happening in my life too, to assist this. But one day I kind of realized I don't want to be her. And that was very freeing for me I, I I looked at her, I looked at other people who I thought I was supposed to be like, and I looked at me, and I decided I liked me better. And that changed everything, everything. And I have not been the same person ever since. And I got that from being polyamorous. I was able to face my insecurities, which were hidden in a monogamous marriage and finally able to confront that and to know in the end that I love myself and I like who I am. I like how I show up in the world. I like how I talk. I like my intelligence. I like how I treat people. I like my, my determination and my fearlessness. And I like how I encourage other people. Like I like me, And if other people don't want to put their dick in me, that's not my problem. And so Kate, uh, was a gift in that way. Um, and that, that just fucking changed my life. Um, so jealousy, listeners, jealousy can be a teacher. Jealousy is not just jealousy. You're not just a jealous person. I'm a jealous person. I'm not a jealous person. Like, Jealousy is an arrow pointing at something that you can decide whether or not you want to unpack that or not. But I, I challenged, at least for myself, I felt like unpacking that was a hugely liberating package of love, um, that I didn't even know I didn't have, um, And I never thought that was going to happen when we, when we took pictures at the theater three years before that, or a year and a half before that, that, you know, this poly adventure was going to lead to me loving myself.
2: Right. I mean, wow. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing (laughs) all of that. It's, it's super powerful and,
1: and so relatable. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I guess maybe one thing that I did want to ask about and I'll use your your phrasing, uh, but the question is really: How have you seen your relationship with Keith change and grow? And you talked a little bit about the unmeshing, the this you know. And I think it's important for people not to confuse this unmeshing with less love or less less you know importance to your relationship. But that you said further on that you like being you and if people don't want to put their dick in you that that's their problem and I think I
0: did say that, didn't I? you did
2: you did so you you wove some very eloquent things into that <laughs> that, that monologue so, I mean, but but this but to maybe clarify that it was something that you took away from this that somebody could want to put their dick in Kate and also in you and that those two are not. But those two are not mutually exclusive, right? Because I think that's a big, that's a big thing that people struggle with, and and this gets tied into something that we've talked about quite a bit on the show, which is there's there's really a lose lose situation if your partner's dating somebody just like you, then you're like, oh well, she's just like me, then I, you know, or he's just you like feel me, a lot of
1: competition,
0: and there. then you feel the
2: competition. But if they're like the pole or opposite of you, you're like, well, how could they possibly like me? and this other person yeah and so you that's what you got hit in the face with was kate is the opposite of me and again tying that all back together like what what have you seen with your relationship both sexual and and not that has really opened your eyes and yeah. Ooh,
0: so much i think And I don't think I've ever articulated it, but the way that you phrased the question kind of has provoked this thought that it's going to sound weird coming out at first, so I'll keep developing it. But I think (laughs) to some extent, I think I was afraid of Keith in that my narrative was that he is the only one that loves me, that to some extent I felt dependent on him. We weren't super codependent, but like, to some extent I felt that like, this is it. This is the guy. Like if he, if we're not okay, I'm not okay. Uh, sort of. And finding myself in Polly, uh, I don't care. Like I love the shit out of that man but I'm just married to him. Like, that's it. Like he, my marriage is not my identity anymore. My relationship with him is not my identity anymore. And I think it was for a long time. It was very reassuring to go around and say my husband, this, my husband, that, Oh yeah. We never fight. Yeah. We went kayaking the other day. Yeah. We love photography. It's great. And like, (laughs) and now I I feel like I'm Marie. Period. I'm Marie and I have a relationship with Keith. I have a relationship with other partners. And those are people that I allow into my uh, oh shit. What's the science word for things? Oh, in my orbit. They're <laughs> <laughs> yes. people that I allow into my orbit because I am an autonomous human being and I can control, I can make choices about who I have in my life. And whereas before I felt like I built something with Keith and that if he were pulled out of it, the Jenga tower would just fall over. And, and now I feel like I know who I am and it doesn't matter anymore. If he is like back to the dick thing, like even if he says to me, you, you know, I love putting my dick in Kate, but I also really love putting my dick in you. Can't you see that now? It's so clear. And I'd be like, oh my God, you're totally right. That's so great. But it doesn't matter. Like that shit doesn't matter. Anyone who's listening, no, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if anyone says that to you. It's all about us. It's about what we think about us and going through this process of having to kind of emotionally sever myself from Keith because he was fucking someone else and to, contain some space to find out, like, am I okay? Like, am I okay? Because I don't feel like I should be okay. I don't feel okay. And in that, in that, that's when I found out I am okay. I'm okay as I am, whether he's here, whether he's not, whether this is working anymore or not. I know who I am now. And And being non monogamous has opened that up for me. And so, again, I mean, people might be able, might want to call it codependency. They might get away with it. I don't know. It doesn't really feel exactly like that. But I, I definitely feel a really solid sense of who I am in this world and that the people that are in my life are around me. They're not a part of me. And, and, and then and then, uh, I feel like I'm looking at the world through my eyes and not through a couple's eyes, if that makes sense. Um, and so that's really done a lot of good for his and my relationship. We went to uh, Min Polycon, a uh, polycon in Minnesota last summer, where I gave um, a, a workshop. But we also attended a uh, workshop provided by the folks at Multi Amory, And they talked about, um, the thing called radar, which I I don't know if you guys have talked about on your show or not, but it's a a monthly check-in with your partner. And that's something that Keith and I started last year and we've been doing for the last 12 months. And it's something we'd never done before. You take this deliberate time every month to talk about the relationship, the state of the relationship and you work shit out and you don't take each other for granted anymore. And so like our, our our relationship is constantly evolving and we're both in a position now of like um, of deliberate choice. That's the other thing that I've gotten out of Polly that um, I don't feel like we're married just because we are like every day. I probably am not exaggerating, but probably every day I ask myself, is this still working for me mm-hmm. with the full knowledge that I can exit at any time there will be pain. That's for sure. But I can exit and I will. I've done it before. And so every day feels that much more sacred, meaningful, intentional, fulfilling, um, loving, because we know what we're doing. We're not just on an escalator together in this marriage. We're not on the relationship escalator, which is a great book. I recommend everyone read but we are intentionally doing this relationship and we're intentionally supporting each other on our own paths, which may or may not be parallel. But at the end of the day, we come home and sleep in the same bed and raise two fine cats together. So like, I like our life and I don't, you know, whether, you know, certain parts of our relationship end, like, I mean, we actually, we don't, (laughs) <laughs> we don't have sex anymore. That's just where our relationship is. And I'm not terribly surprised by it, uh, for multitude of reasons, but that's the beauty of this. So there doesn't need to be a game, uh, what's it called? Uh, a deal breaker mm-hmm. that we have honestly acknowledged to ourselves the case. We have discussed why that might be. I have offered What I'm opened to and what my perspective is on things, as he he has as well. And we've met and said it is what it is. And in the meantime, like that doesn't define our relationship. And so Polly's opened up that for me too, to know that we're all just playing a game of go fish. And just because we don't have a pair that matches anymore, doesn't mean we need to throw away the cards. That you can constantly be renegotiating relationships that were built with certain cards in common. And those cards can shift and that doesn't need to end everything, especially, I mean, specifically if you're ethically non-monogamous, like it makes things a lot more flexible. And so there's just a lot more openness, a lot more freedom. Um, I feel just solid as fuck uh, with who I am. And as a person in this relationship, I don't feel afraid to make him angry. Not that he has a temper, but like that's something I carry from my childhood. Don't make the man angry. I don't care if he gets angry. Now I don't try to make him angry. I don't, I'm not a dick, but like, I allow that to be and I allow people to have their feelings now. And that, and that's, that's another gift from Polly. But anyway, I'm still rambling on and I know we're getting near the end. So I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll taper down.
2: (laughs) No, it's, it's fantastic. And I think, you know, it's a a super important point that, and this is something that we hear uh, often is that, One of the things that polyamory or non-monogamy gives to people is that ability to realize that not every person in your life can check every box in your life and that you and Keith obviously have a very deep, meaningful relationship and it checks however many boxes it checks Mm -hmm. and that right now the box it's not checking is the sex box. Right. But that doesn't mean that, well, if it's not checking that box, that all the boxes get unchecked and we have to throw them out and start over.
1: Well, it also doesn't mean that it might not get checked again in the future. Right. Like you never- Exactly.
0: Yeah. And for some people, that is what it might mean. That's the beauty of this, that if if you if you're playing go fish and all of a sudden you don't have the sex cards in common anymore. If you look inside yourself and say, but I need to have sex and I need to have it with you and I don't want to be. Polyamorous or ethically non monogamous, then sure. that does mean that you restructure that relationship to just be friends. And that's the important thing that self awareness is super key here to know what you're willing to negotiate and what you're not willing to negotiate. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I yeah. think, you know, a lot of the times we hear people talk about this in the context of, I like these kinds of movies and my partner doesn't. So I go watch these movies with this person and this yeah. person likes opera. Or I like this
1: activity. Yeah, yeah. I like
2: this person likes opera and my part, this partner doesn't, but you know, the, once you start thinking about it and saying sex is just another one of those activities and you mm-hmm. could be saying, well, my partners have to fucking like opera or they're out. It's, <laughs> no, it's no different than, yeah. than any, than any other activity. So yeah. Right. I, yeah, I think, I just thank you for sharing all of that and everything you've shared. It's been. It's
1: very cathartic. Ask, to share. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's amazing. I have one question that I'm kind of changing topics, but I'm just curious about, are you out to your family and, and do they know everything and how has that gone? I mean, yes. and in your, a, in and a, your
2: camp counselor,
1: in a summary, I guess, in a <laughs> somewhat short summary, in a camp counselor. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. My family knows. I told them, that November of 2017, um, that, that we were polyamorous. Um, at first Keith and I talked and we were like, no, we're not going to tell our families. Like that'd be like emailing them and be like, yeah, i like to be spanked mom. Like <laughs> it just seems like information that they don't need to know. But then as time went on and I fell in love with my partner and he fell in love with his partner. And pretty soon it was a small family. It was a polycule. It was, uh, I think they're called Table Polly. Is that what it was? Kitchen Table Polly. We're all very dear friends of each other and very close-knit. And I'm just sitting here like, what lie do I need to tell my parents about like, my availability for this thing or that thing? Or like, what can I invite them to and what can't I invite them to? And where, I'm, how am I going to have to lie to them there? And I just got to a point of frustration, and it compounded on the fact that I've always felt uh like I wasn't enough or not approved of because of my lack of Christian faith on top of everything else because they also know that I'm atheist agnostic. Um, so for me that that was a huge like volcanic eruption um, in November of that year to be like, I'm fucking sick of apologizing and hiding my life, whether it's my, you know, disinterest in faith and and it's uh, my, um, rejection of, of dating just one person at a time. That's ridiculous. It's, both things are very, very silly. And if that's the way that they're going to treat me and judge me, then they can fuck off. And so I talked to Keith and I was like, I want to tell my family. And he's like, okay, I'm not telling mine yet. But, um, so I did tell my family, I emailed them, they wrote back and it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I've heard worse. I've heard much worse much, much worse. But my dad was like, yeah, Polly used to be really like uh, trendy back in the, si- the late sixties and and people are doing it now and they think they're they're being super trendy, but it's it was a thing already back then. And there was even a movie about it, but it's really, you know, marriages really th- thrive when there's trust. And like, and he started like telling me what marriage and relationships are and the virtues of them. And that just, whoa. I was not having it. I was not having it. I did not ask for his advice, his information, his input, his take. Um, And the movie that he cited, I looked it up on IMDb and it's a movie about two couples that cheat on each other and then just end up fucking together. And then everything goes to ruin. And I'm like, okay, so that's not ethical. (laughs) Non-monogamy. So I wrote back to them and I was just like, uh, some things that you've said have really ticked me off and I'm going to need some space. So I took some space, talked to my therapist, did some really good work with visualization stuff to understand that I've always felt like I've hidden my core self from them. Um, and then I became committed again. This is another layer of like, I am okay as I am um, against an authority instead of then like the personification of, of sexuality. This was now I'm okay against the authority that raised me. And so I went through that process of like, what I am doing in my life is ethical. It is ethical as fuck and they've got nothing on it. And so I took some time to digest that. I stopped talking to them for probably about a year. Then I contacted them again and, um, wrote them a very long email, kind of a email of like airing of grievances, uh, of my entire life, um, just to, to, let them know what I've experienced up till now. And then we slowly reconnected and I let them know, like, I ex, I expect, uh, respect and non-judgment. And I need you to know that I'm being completely ethical and that I'm open to your questions, but you don't get to judge me. And if you do, I have no problem terminating our relationship again. Like I don't, I just don't, I am past this. I'm done with this. And they were both amenable to that and things have kind of healed up now and we're all in communication now and they've met the, all the partners that I've had. They've met most of them. Um, they, they loved one of them. Um, and they didn't know he was my partner at the time, but yeah, so things are good. They're pretty good now. I think, uh, we don't really talk about it very much anymore, but, uh, I feel, I feel comfortable with it now with my family all of my friends know and now clearly like this is a, a platform that I'm on people like know me as like the poly person yeah
1: yeah well thank you for sharing that yeah, yeah. Um, I was just curious because of all, all your upbreaking and such I was yeah for those at.
2: and did you tell all the people who were fucking in the woods at camp I
0: think, <laughs> I think you lists, deserve it one of them lives to me right now <laughs> well, yeah I mean that I yeah, I don't talk to most of those people anymore. They're still really fundy christian so but i I did have my um my twentieth high school reunion was scheduled for October. It's being rescheduled because of covid, but I was kind of like fantasizing about showing up with my business cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah ethical non-monogamy coach, also a host of a podcast about atheism and agnosticism and doubt and faith so, <laughs> Because it was a Christian high school, I forgot to mention that part. But
1: yeah, <laughs> maybe that's a good segue to uh, talk about your stuff, like <laughs> promote yourself. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me that space. Yes. So, as I mentioned just briefly a moment ago, uh, the uh, I host a podcast called Everyone's Autonomous, and it is partially a podcast that tells the stories of people who have left a very fundamentalist form of religion. It's not necessarily anti-religion, but it is anti that kind of religion. Um, and we tell those stories. And then the second half is, I, I'm, I'm trying to focus on, there's a lot of podcasts out there that tell stories about people leaving the faith, but there's not a lot of podcasts that fill in that gap of like, okay, you've lost your entire worldview. You've lost your entire paradigm. What the fuck do we do next? And what the fuck is happening on this earth? Because we used to think that this was just a a theater that was going to be burned to the ground when we were dead. But turns out this is actually where we live and where we've lived for a very long time and we're going to continue to live until we destroy ourselves. So... So the second part of the podcast is a lot about humanism and social justice and like getting educated about what's actually happening in the world. I I call it anthropological grounding. It's that getting back into your fleshy body and, and communing with the world as a part of that world. Like I am a biological creature, just like that tree in my backyard. And so what does that mean about my relationship to nature? What does that mean about my relationship to government? What does that mean about my relationship to policy, to food, Um, all kinds of things. And so I'm trying to help those people who are recovering from a very traumatic worldview reintegrate in a holistic way to what's happening on this planet in a way that can make them productive. I don't like that word so much, but like able to participate in earth um, which is a very difficult thing for that, that listenership because they're carrying so much trauma. It's really difficult for them to make that adjustment. So mm-hmm. sorry, that was a long exposition about that, but that's the, the podcast, everyone's autonomous. And then additionally, as I've mentioned a few times, I'm doing life coaching for people who are exploring ethical non-monogamy and people can find that information at Marie D as in dog elephant.com. Uh, yeah. I think that's mostly the relevant stuff. I also have a humanitarian uh, photography company called Marquee. It's M-A-R-K-E-I, Marie Keith, get it? (laughs) Marqueephoto.com. And so I try to integrate everything that I've been talking now about into what I photograph. So like I go to protests in Minneapolis for, for George Floyd and stuff. And I take pictures and video and provide it for, for the people there. And that's what I'm talking about that reintegration into the earth of like participating in social justice. And this might go over the heads of a lot of people who don't understand it, but for, for the listeners that I'm, I'm dealing with, that's something that they can struggle with. So that's the third thing that I do. And I also talk a lot. So I'm sorry if I've gone over but yeah, <laughs> no, those are the fine. three main things that I wanted to plug and thank you for giving me that space. Of course. And thank you. And
1: links to all of the, everything you just mentioned will be in the show notes on our website too. Awesome.
2: That is yeah. a fact. Uh, yeah. I think just thank you so much for sharing everything. I know
1: we have so many more questions. I'm sure we could always go into more, but in this, for the sake of time,
0: we should. Yes. Yeah. And,
2: and who knows there might be a part two someday. And, yeah. And I'm doing an
0: annoying little clap. Knowing <laughs> <you said. laughs>
2: so well, we'll with that maybe we let you get along with your Minnesota evening and
0: <laughs> so much different than the other states as evenings. Yeah, yeah right. it's,
2: it's slightly later. A lot it's a lot nicer um, in terms of the, the people around you.
1: The, so, no, the, the Minnesota, Minnesota nice. nice
2: we're very, we're very familiar with it. We Oh, you know, are you? We grew up in the Midwest, so oh, did we you? are yeah. we we know it well. Um, yeah,
0: I'm but. purging that from my system hardcore. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you again, Marie. It was thank wonderful you. meeting you, wonderful sharing your story, and we know it will be impactful.
0: Yes, it was cathartic to share. As I mentioned before, I got more out of this than you did, perhaps. It was really, really It was Aww. helpful for me to share that.
2: Wonderful. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for that, and have a wonderful evening.
0: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, sure, you betcha. Yeah, sure,
2: you
0: betcha. And we're
1: back. Thank you so much to Marie for reaching out to us and...
2: And for all the work you do. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's what I was going to say, and for all the amazing work that you do, we're so excited to share and get your, the word out about the work that you're doing. Yeah,
2: Go check out her podcast. You won't regret it. And again, thank you, Marie.
1: Links to everything she do. <laughs>
2: everything she do. Everything she do in the show notes.
1: <laughs> Links to everything that Marie does are in the show notes. Normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the podcast button at the top.
2: As promised, at the beginning of the show, we told you we were going to tell you more about the virtual meet and greet, which is a way that we have come up with at the beginning of the quarantine to bring people together and create some awesome community. So we bring everybody together who joins in a Zoom, large Zoom chat. Mm -hmm. And then we use the breakout room feature to send people into littler groups, you know, Maybe if it's one-on-one or it's a group of three or four. Anyway, we send you off with a question to talk about. You talk about it for a few minutes, and then you come back to the main room. Everybody laughs, makes fun of me, and then we do it again. Yep. And so we've been doing them the last few months. They've been growing. We had over 30 people last time.
1: 30 log-ons.
2: Yeah, it was like close to 200 people. <laughs> because not have we have all these poly <laughs> quads and stuff. We so. do
1: have multiple people per log-on, that's It wasn't sure. really
2: 200 people. I would say 50 people.
1: Yeah, I'd say that. It's probably a safe estimate.
2: Anyway, that's the that's what it is. It's super awesome. As Emma mentioned, it's $10 to join, and it's open to anybody.
1: And you can find more information and sign up by going to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, clicking on the meet and greet tab. Separate from that, we also are growing our community on Patreon, and you can sign up at the two, five, or ten dollar levels, and for you get different things for those different levels. But we do have a monthly Q and A. The next one will be on October 28th. We do those once a month, where we do an East Coast one and a West Coast one. It's pretty informal, question and answer time frame, just a time to discuss and be together.
2: Yeah, these, these are amazing. We look forward to them every month. And we just wanted to say a huge, gigantic thank you to everyone in the Patreon community who comes out and who participates in everything that, that, these commun- that this community has to offer. So yeah, thank you for making for it what sure. it is. And we hope you'll consider joining or at least checking it out and seeing if it's for you.
1: The other things we offer as part of the Patreon are a Miwi chat group and a women's group. So just wanted to plug those as well.
2: Yeah, it, again, for us... It's all about the community and and we're super excited to have it.
1: It's incredible. It's amazing to connect with all of these different people and just yeah, it's I can't even put it into words.
2: Well then we (laughs) should stop talking and tell people that next week we've got we're coming at them two times. Bonus episode. Yeah, we've got a Monday episode we're doing with Wilson. Uh, who's recently started well not even really recently he's been exploring it since the beginning of his relationships but yeah he didn't really know what it was he was just kind of doing it right (laughs) and then we've got one on wednesday with rachel with rachel who's um a blogger and uh, or a blogger on medium Mm -hmm. and she's started to build some community as well and again another fantastic story um so stick around for next week or come we'll back. see you next week come back you probably don't want to wait here till next week.
1: <laughs> come back and listen next monday and-, and and
2: don't forget to reach out and say hello tell us if you what you love what you don't love and tell us that you love us really
1: <laughs> yeah
2: really that. we're just looking for affirmation <laughs> from all of you so thank you in advance for that and have a wonderful week bye everyone thanks for listening